not seen until you let go of what is seen. I'm talking about your money. Did you watch uh, the Nick Gage documentary? I did. I did. Thoughts? I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, man, I don't know. Like, I know our listeners might get sick of me talking about wrestling, but like, legit, I'm not bullshitting you. This is more of a true crime documentary, I feel, than it was a wrestling documentary. And a redemption story. You know, I mean, it really is a guy who fell on really hard times and and hit rock bottom and was able to kind of turn it around and, and... reemerge as an even bigger you know success than he had been before he went down right like i don't know for the uninitiated nick gage has i'm gonna list off his uh quote unquote accomplishments he has robbed a bank he has literally died during a wrestling match for seven minutes and got brought back to life and while dying was cutting a promo (laughs) (laughs) on the way to the helicopter (laughs) yeah they had to like medevac him out of there (laughs) uh got sent to prison came out of prison like as the most over wrestler of all time and he almost killed david arquette yep (laughs) almost murdered david arquette it's also worth mentioning that he had a really bad substance abuse problem that resulted from the violent style of his wrestling and then that sort of evolved into him having or feeling like he had to rob a bank that you know so that happened Right. And like, how crazy is it that like, uh, I don't want to name drop him, uh, like a wrestling promoter, like he came to his house after he robbed the bank and just dumped the money on the table. And he was like, bro, you got to turn yourself in. He's like, fuck that. I'm a party first. And then I'm gonna turn myself in. (laughs) Yeah, he's, you know, I mean, I guess, especially for people that aren't aware that like, pro wrestling is worried. I mean, is not worried is littered with stories like this of wrestlers who get hooked on drugs doing deal with the pain most of these guys i'd say the vast majority even the ones in the bigger um companies don't have insurance provided by their employer a lot of them don't have insurance at all and so they self-medicate to deal with this stuff and that's why there's just so many young deaths in pro wrestling i mean guys in their 30s or 40s just dropping dead so anytime you see that happen and someone turns it around and really is able to to kind of get right and and be successful i think it's just that's awesome yeah i I agree 100 percent. so my recommendation this week audience go seek out dark side of the ring featuring nick gage it's up on device app uh they have a free trial that you can use in the app to watch the whole thing pretty much that's how i did it so you know just go seek it out i promise it's a good watch and, bloody uh, there's a lot of blood oh yeah trigger warning Seaborn. blood <laughs> gore substance abuse yeah uh, it's it's you know if you're if you're faint of heart it might not be for you but it is a fascinating story so how was your week Man, it was pretty crazy i know you said it felt like forever for you for me it was like i just didn't have enough time to get anything done this last week i had like all these plans to get caught up on for some future shows and then that did not happen so i'll I'll be back in scramble mode in no time but the (laughs) highlight as trivial as it sounds it has been a quest that i've been on for literally months is trying to find a, a pair of glasses that i like for my giant head and this is a problem because I do have such a big fat head. Nothing fits right. And I've ordered stuff I like online. So, so I had a pair of glasses I really liked. It broke. And so for almost the past year, I've been using my backup frames and I'm tired of them. And so I've been just trying 
desperately to find a pair of wide glasses that would actually fit my head. And it's been heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak, but I finally did it. I'm wearing them only Dalton can see on an audio podcast what I'm wearing on my face. Looking good. <laughs> so I'm very happy with them. I'm excited. This quest has come to an end and I reap the reward. Uh, much like a video game almost. Yeah. Yeah. Looking good, dude. They look great. Thanks, man. They really pop like red, the red frames. Yeah. They're kind of like a brownish red, a little yeah. gold trim on the side. You yeah. Know. Classy classy that's that's i like to look classy knowing full well that i'm not it's just a it's a ruse (laughs) it's a total just appearance and meanwhile i dyed my hair pink (laughs) i went to the cracker barrel before we recorded the podcast i'm not trying to look classy (laughs) i got a text from from dalton last night at well 3 a.m so i didn't read it until this morning it's like (laughs) I'm about to do something I might regret. And it's him with the red bottle in his hand. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it looks good, man. You, you did good. I mean, I don't know. Your relatives might freak out, but no man. judgment on this part. Yeah, I might avoid going over there for a few weeks. <laughs> you know that's not possible. Yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> um all right well do we want to do we want to just jump right in yeah man uh fuck i don't have any fun puns this week french aliens (laughs) what's happening i've lost my lost my (laughs) you lost your mojo in two weeks this is what happens that's why we can't stop recording uh never stop recording we come in peace So I'll start at the beginning. I, I know we keep saying ancient aliens, but the guy that we're talking to actually talks about ancient astronauts, which over the years evolved into ancient aliens. But this story, his beginning takes place in the mid 60s, which is like when the Apollo mission was going. And so everything was about astronauts. And so I think that's what he kind of sunk his teeth into. But you never hear of uh, ancient astronauts anymore. You only hear of ancient aliens. And that's just sort of because it evolved that way and, and the, the verbiage changed on it. So I'll call them astronauts, but uh, it's the same thing as ancient aliens, especially yeah. when you hear some of these stories. Well, is it um, because of the History Channel show? Is that what made it change? I, it, I think it might have changed before the History Show. You know, I, you know we'll see. I'll, we'll talk about like his influence on this whole like weird subgenre. So I, I don't know exactly when the flip happened, but it, it happened at some point, but he's, you know, this is the astronauts guy. 
but it's it, like I said, it's the same thing, really. When you boil it down, there's these all these guys are taking talking about the exact same things, just maybe calling it something slightly different. So you grew up in the church. I know it's probably more New Testament than Old Testament, but what do you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? Oh man, ah, uh, offhand, nothing. Okay, nothing. so that's good. No. So we're gonna tell you about. I'm gonna give you like the really quick cheap and dirty version of what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Sodom and Gomorrah was a, more or less, as it was told in the Old Testament, it was a sinful city and the, the male residents of the city were up to a lot of shenanigans that, you know, God considered bad. Um, so God sends down two angels to visit the cities. And, and like I said, they've been plagued by sin. Upon arriving, they meet a man named Lot, L-O-T, uh, at the front gate. Lot offers them shelter from the lustful men in town who want to have their way with these two angels. Uh, at, <laughs> at first, <laughs> they're trying to fuck these angels? That, so it, in <laughs> today's parlance, yes. And it's, it's hard because there's a lot of translation issues from the Old Testament. There's a lot of ways they, they, the closest translation is get to know the two angels and people have like, oh, that means, that means, yeah, like, like carnal, carnal knowledge. knowledge. But, yeah. and, and the, the story is a lot less about that than most people think. They kind of use that as a metaphor for the evils of homosexuality, but it's, a, the meaning is a lot different and it's changed a lot over time. But anyway, um, so a lot offers them offers them shelter and at first the angels just refuse they say no 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 and lot really is like please 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 come back to my house with me you know i'll make sure that you're safe i'll make sure that no one bothers you just come back and so the angels eventually agree lot takes them home so then the men of the town of sodom and gomorrah it's two cities or towns i don't know how big they were um surround lot's home and demand that the two angels are released to them and Lot refuses and says, no, no, no. Um, you know, here, I off, I'm going to offer you my two virgin daughters instead. And the men refuse. which is They really want to fuck these angels. <laughs> so it's, it's all kinds of problematic. And, and I'll tell you, I actually spoke to a friend of mine who's much more of a biblical scholar than I would ever even pretend to be. Um, and she gave me a really interesting other take about kind of what it, what it all meant. But let's get through the, the rest of the story. Um, so they, they, they refused. They said, we don't want your virgin daughters. We want there. And so they start pounding on the door and the angels go and suddenly blind all of the men of the town so that they can't find the house. Right. So now they're stumbling around and the angels have blinded them and they turn to lot and they say, get your family and go leave town, run as far away as you can get all the way to the mountains. And lot says, this is ridiculous. No. And they said, trust us. You need to leave town right? You need to get out of here. This is what we're advising you. And so finally Lot and his family agree and they begin to leave town as quick as they can. And they're running and they're running and they're running. The the angels had told Lot that they intended to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, ostensibly it was because of all the sin and lust and everything that was going on. But uh, that was, that was the story. Um, So they ran and they ran and they ran. And right before they got to the mountains to take shelter there was a huge raining down of hellfire and brimstone um lot's wife was running with them turned at the very last minute saw what was happening and was immediately turned into a pillar of salt so she just disintegrated but lot and the rest of his family escaped and that's kind of how it was presented in the bible more or less right however if you listen to the star of our podcast today eric von donneken he has 
a very different theory on what happened. Eric von Donegan says that an ancient astronaut deployed a nuclear weapon on Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed the entire city. So according to, to von Donegan, just, just, I mean, yes, we're talking biblical times, big nukes. Um, he said, <laughs> uh, he said, admittedly, these are awkward questions about a serious matter, but since the dropping of two atomic bombs on Japan, we know the kind of damage such bombs can cause and living, cre- uh, li- ugh, living creatures exposed to direct radiation die or become incurably ill. Let us imagine for a moment that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed according to a plan, i.e. deliberately by a nuclear explosion, perhaps let us speculate a little further. The angels, in quotes, simply wanted to destroy some dangerous, fissionable material, and at the same time to make sure wiping out of a human brood they found unpleasant. The time for the destruction was fixed. Those who were to escape it, such as Lot and his family, had to stay a few miles from the center of the explosion in the mountains, for rock faces would naturally absorb the powerful, dangerous rays. And we all know the story. Lot's wife turned around and looked straight at the atomic sun. Nowadays, no one is surprised that she fell dead on the spot. Ah, so aliens or astronauts, uh, they just wiped out a city with a nuke, a space nuke? <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> Sounds... <laughs> so just, just now, now we'll get into his history and, and everything that, like, again, is influenced, but just imagine sitting down on the History Channel and watching programs that this guy inspired, who's talking about nukes that occurred before, you know, I mean, before most of human life. <laughs> right. Uh, wait, I've watched that History Channel show a few times, and I don't know, man, they pitch it really well. It's like, there was one episode I watched, right? It's uh, the, the, the guy with the wild hair. He was talking about uh, Greek mythology and how, like... He was explaining his theory about how, like, all of these gods were actually aliens. Like, right. Thor was like an alien that could cast thunder. Yep. And just stuff like that. That's, and that's very I much. I thought, wait, that's not, that's Norse. Which one? Zeus. Zeus. Zeus, yeah. And that is, like, what Donakin's work is. Von Donakin's work is very much that. That guy with the hair, I can't remember his name, I meant to write it down, is actually, um, He's also a producer on the series with Von Donneken, and he's like the president of like one of the Von Donneken, I, I was going to say fan club, but it's not. It's some sort of like perceived think tank about ancient aliens. And Weird so <laughs> they're very, yeah, well, they're very much tied together. So he he doesn't come up in the story, but he is very much in, in line with everything that we're going to talk about today. Gotcha. Um, so Von Donneken was born in Switzerland in 1938, uh, raised in a very strict Catholic household with a very stern father. So surprise, surprise, we've got daddy issues again. <laughs> Seems to pop up a little bit. So, you know, I mean, with a very Catholic household and a very strict father, you should not be surprised that Von Donneken rebelled hard. Uh, He started rejecting the teachings of the Bible and of the Catholic Church, and he started being showing a lot more interest in space and astronomy. When he was 19, uh, he was convicted of theft after he stole money from an innkeeper at a camp where he worked as a youth leader. 
He was given a four-month suspended sentence, but a psychiatrist brought in by the court noted that Von Donneken had a, quote, tendency to lie. So his father, after that, his father pulled him out of school uh, and found him an apprenticeship with a hotelier, um, for, but not long after getting that job, Von Donneken packs up and takes off to Egypt. I can see this weird rabbit hole starting already. Yeah, it's very early. It's very, it's very much happening. <laughs> so while he was in Egypt, he actually got involved with some shady jewelry deal. And he was taken into custody and put into jail for nine months right after he returned to Switzerland based on that. And there's not a lot of records about what that shady jewelry deal is, but they, they got him and he was, he was out for nine more months. Nine months. That's crazy. Yeah. No, it's also Swiss law too, which I think is probably a lot more lenient than, you know, what we have here. Yeah. Um, so between 1957 and 1968, so about 11 years, Von Donneken worked as a hotel manager. And it was during this time that he would, he started taking elaborate trips all around the world. And they were, according to him, they were him doing research for his upcoming book. So he's planning to write this book at this point. In 1966, so kind of, you know, nine years into these, these trips, he started writing his book while working uh, the overnight shift at the hotel. So he's probably on the job writing his book, right. which is, you know, there's not a lot going on overnight. That all boys my mind is like, he's spent uh, four plus nine, that's 13 months in jail at this mm-hmm. point. And yep. he's a hotel manager. Like, it was like, all right, guy, come on. <laughs> well, <get> <laughs> it's funny you should say that. Uh, because pretty soon authorities caught wind of his lavish travels and got really suspicious. They said that he was maintaining a playboy lifestyle, which doesn't sound like research trips. Um, right. He said, how could someone in a hotel manager's salary afford all of this travel? Uh, well, as it turns out, Von Donneken was cooking the hotel's books. Mm. He, he had borrowed a total of $130,000 uh, without disclosing his debt, which uh, is a violation of Swiss law. So he kept saying, I'm fine. I'm, you know, I'm solvent. Meanwhile, he owed $130,000 to a bunch of borrowers. They're fraud already. Already. Three in a row, three in a row. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> uh, in November 1968, he was arrested for fraud. On February 13th, 1970, he was sentenced to three and a half years, but only served one. I don't, I don't know what that was. Maybe good behavior. I don't know why. Well, he got probably that. parole. Maybe, yeah. And again, it's a Swiss system in the 60s, which I don't really know what that looks like. Honestly, Swiss jail is probably a dream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if I'm being honest. Like, you ever seen uh, the show Most Dangerous Prisons or like uh, Tough Prisons Around the World? It's on Netflix. No. But dude, like, goes and voluntarily, voluntarily uh, gets locked up in these prisons for like a week, right? And like they allow the camera crew to come in with him, and he just goes to prisons all around the world and shows how like tough certain prisons are. And he went to one prison in Europe and dude, it's like a fucking hotel. Yeah. Like they've all got dormitories and they've got like TVs in the room and they got like foosball and air hockey in the lobby. Cause they're, they're meant to, they're meant to better the person. Yeah. Rehabilitate, not incarcerate. And that's, that's, that's a whole conversation that, we could get into that would take up the rest of this podcast, but I feel like we have similar thoughts. <laughs> yeah, anyway, <laughs> When he was being sentenced, uh, once again, a court psychologist, I'm sorry, a court psychiatrist examined Von Donneken and deemed him a prestige seeker, a liar and an unstable and criminal psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, and people fucking trust this guy later on? Yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah. And he got lucky because by the time he was in prison, his first book, which is called Chariots of the Gods, had been published and it allowed him to pay back the 130000 I mean, it was, a, it was a hit while he was in jail. Um, it's also while he's in jail that he starts writing his second book. So he's you know, got a lot of free time. Yeah, you got, you got nothing to do. Um, yeah, the second book was called Gods from Outer Space. There's a lot of gods in the titles of all of his books. You will see. So basically his roundabout theory is uh, like aliens are gods, basically? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or other beings or, yeah, that those are the gods. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he, he gets out of prison and now he's a, sex, a successful author, right? He, he doesn't have to require... Uh, you know, sorry, take that back. So, <laughs> with Free from Prison, he is a successful author, so there was no need to perpetuate any of like the petty frauds that he's been doing all this time. Now he could just move on to much bigger frauds, which is his entire literary career. <laughs> the prison sentence comes up a lot with Von Donneken in interviews and stuff. And he usually just claims to have made a simple accounting oversight. Something that has lots of people, lots, God, hang on. Um, The prison sentence comes up a lot in interviews with Von Donneken. He usually just claims to have made a simple accounting oversight, something that lots of people do without being punished in the way that he gets punished. So he's like, everyone does it. I just got caught, which uh, that's a pretty common refrain. You gotta have a better excuse, man. Yeah, exactly. That's a really, really tired, overused excuse. Right. Um, From an interview that he gave uh, Playboy magazine regarding his criminal past, he said, I really don't want to go into details because I don't think it has anything to do with my work. It is very easy to say that because a person has been to jail, he's not serious and you can't believe what he says. Personally, I find that way of thinking very arrogant and unfair. People don't ask if Christ was convicted of a crime. What does that to do with the message that Christ brought? What does my having been to jail, guilty or innocent, have to do with my work? I I actually agree with like the broad strokes of what he's saying like yeah. i don't think that someone being in jail indicates that they're a bad person or should have any effect on any sort of creative output that they you know that they put out um yeah. so i i agree with that but i also think if you look at a pattern with someone that's a much clearer indication and it's like right. if you are arrested for fraud or and, and convicted of fraud over and over and over again if these court psychiatrists go you're a liar <laughs> he's a liar he doesn't know what else to do and then you start whipping up these wild ass tales that we'll talk about it, it's just like okay yeah you've been to jail that's not the part that is disturbing right the part that's disturbing is that you keep defrauding people over and over, <laughs> over again. it's like he's addicted to it yeah. And I mean, he's kind of the opposite, too, of all of the other people that we've talked about, where it's like he got all the jail time out at first. <laughs> and then he, like, he didn't go back. You know, he was like jail time for fraud. And then we're just going to grift our way for the rest of our lives. It sounds like a better system to me. He's, it's a much better system. It's a much better system. I think it's mostly because, you know, he's selling books and giving lectures and not taking money directly from people for right. whatever reason, you know, for whatever promise thing. It's not a like point A to B fraud, but it's still a right. fraud nonetheless. I mean, he, I don't know if it's a fraud. He's a grifter, though, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, selling these wild ass tales that you know isn't true. I feel like that's still in a way fraud. Yeah, but... yeah. I mean, unless you 
and you call it fiction. But if you don't call it fiction, then yeah, I think you got it. Well, does he like label them as fiction or not? Oh, he thinks it's he thinks it's science. He thinks it's archaeology. <laughs> he thinks this is legit. He really he he I I you know I at least in public that's how he presents himself. I can't. The CDC tell says that ET is now a god, right? And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what he he's been confronted a lot. And he's very wishy-washy when he gets confronted. Like when people actually sit down and go, well, that's not true because ABC. And he's like, he kind of does this. And and we'll get a little bit more of that late. That's like my catchphrase. I feel like we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But he gets into <laughs> these these binds where he's been confronted. And he says, well, at the time, I didn't know that. And then they're like, well, why don't you update your books? He's like, oh, it's just too much trouble to ever go back and update my books. And so he never updates his books. It's too though, much trouble to tell the truth? Yeah, he just, he, he talks about like, there's so many different publishers that are involved and it wouldn't make a difference and all this stuff. And so he just sort of like tries to brush it off and keep going. And honestly, it, it, it works. And, and we've seen this over and over again with these guys where they're like, no, 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 that's not true. And everybody's like, oh, he's right. And you're like, no, he's not. Like, no, <laughs> he's not. He's lying. <laughs> Why do you want to be fooled so you bad? You don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to see some evidence. I was like, oh my God, I want to rip my face in half. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit of his right a little bit of his writing because i think it illustrates like his whole worldview and we touched on it a little bit at first but i think this will give you a better idea um so the core belief is that ancient man could not have achieved the success and progress that it has without the influence of a greater intelligence uh convening on its behalf so he's basically saying our ancient ancestors we're too dumb and primitive to get anything done without this force, this other being coming down to earth. So um, this is Von Donneken's writing. He says, extraterrestrials visited our earth many millennia ago. They behave similar to how current ethnologists behave today. They studied a few languages, visited different tribes, gave suggestions and disappeared sometime. However, with the promise to return in the distant future, our stone age ancestors, could not grasp what happened next. They wrongfully believed that our extraterrestrials were gods. They supported, then wandered into our mythology and became the founders of many religions. So that's like what you were saying. Yeah. Where these these beings from space come down and humans, because we're so primitive, think that they're a god and we, we build these religions around them. You know what? Like, if I'm being very honest, that makes more sense to me than a lot of religious text. <laughs> and, and that's the slippery slope it goes down into, right? Yeah. And that's right. That, like, that is like, okay, that, that actually makes more sense than the literal Bible. Right. So that's, that's the danger in this guy in the way that he's telling <laughs> Oh no, the story. he's going to get me. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if we get out of this episode and he's got you, we, we're going to have to really talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> So when is uh, the next Alien Con? I might need to book my ticket. <laughs> hey, man, I would go to one of those with you, but maybe for entirely different reasons. <laughs> it sounds like a fucking blast. <laughs> it could be, but you're not going to win any any arguments there, that's for sure. <laughs> they're, they're in deep. So, yeah, basically an intelligent species visited our, our ancient ancestors and influenced the culture and the technology and the intelligence. But there's a little bit more sinister part of the story that he has since kind of rewritten because he, he doesn't stick by it anymore. Um, the astronauts would come to Earth, breed with humans, and then leave. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. So there was a breeding project in order to experiment on humans and see what they happen. So they, after they would breed with humans, they would return thousands of years later to observe the results. 
oftentimes they were unhappy with what they found. So they would wipe out humanity and repeat the experiment with the survivors. And he ties a lot of this back to stories from historic, like history and the Bible. So he says that Noah and the Ark was one of the examples of the aliens or the astronauts, you got me saying aliens now, of the astronauts wiping out mankind. Sodom and Gomorrah, another one, wiping out mankind because they weren't happy with how their breeding had, had gone and the evolution of the humans. Once again, more believable than the Bible. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a different one for us, isn't it, Dalton? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. So he said, um, this, so this is what he said about it. He said, certainly the track of racial development from hominids to homo sapiens can be followed back clearly for millions of years, but we cannot make nearly so definite a statement about the origin of intelligence. There are minimal indications from the remote past, but they do not add up to a whole. So far, I have not been fortunate enough to hear an explanation of the origin of intelligence in man that is even totally convincing. So basically, he's saying that the human race got too smart too fast, which is a kind of an absurd thought, but that's, that's, his, that's his basic argument. They got too, too smart too fast. Someone else had to be around to do it. Well, as technology advances and like the way it's advanced from, say, I don't know, 1950s to now in 2021, like technology improves so fast. So, of course, people are going to get smarter as technology improves. And and it's always speeding up, too. You know, it's like even from like 1990 to 2021, like the the technology is so different, so like broadly different. It's such a shorter amount of time. And that's, that's just how. Like if I went to 1995 and showed somebody my iPhone, like they, they would, would flip out. freak the fuck out. 100%. 100%. So he continues and this gets kind of, this is, gets into like a weird place. I think I, I feel maybe I'm alone. Uh, is there a plausible explanation of why savages suddenly clothe themselves? Who taught the savages to take the seeds of certain wild plants, pound them up, add water and bake an article of food from the resulting mush? Why anthropods, hominids, and primitive men learn so much is a question that nags at me. That's just the course of evolution, right? Right, it is. And that's that's human curiosity. These primitive people, of course, they're going to see like these plants and these animals and they're going to try it and they're going to have successes and they're going to slowly improve on those successes. Yep. They're also going to see if, you know, I mean, animals may eat them or animals instinctively avoid certain things. And so, you know, just simple observation is like, Hey, that's probably not good because no animals eat it. That's probably poisonous or will make me sick. Yeah. There's, there's, there's hundreds of thousands of explanations for this kind of thing. This is just kind of like, lazy presupposing of course by his second book he had learned about dna and so he changed it from the ancient astronauts breeding with humans to them you know messing with the genetics and and setting them free so he kind of took the weird rapey stuff out of it i don't feel like you should be able to retcon like quote unquote history (laughs) well but that's the thing is he's he he retcons as he's going but he never goes back and fixes the stuff so it's still there in his early book and he just like charts it up to well i might have been a little off but there's been more research you know that this is what the the new research shows and you know kind of keeps moving it sounds like a guy that has a hard time admitting that he was wrong he does and he comes sometimes like halfway does but he just kind of he it's always someone else's fault right always the research or something that you know he didn't know about or I don't, there's a lot there you can see definitely me? but that's what you have to do no, it can never be me right but that's all these guys do all of them they never none of them are wrong none of them get caught because they didn't do anything wrong <laughs> um 
so his again, we'll go back to his first and very much most well-known book which is chariots of the gods uh it covers a ton of subjects like he hops around so quickly so i just want to take a few of the ones that i thought were just ludicrous and talk about them and and it just and i think that through these examples we kind of get a bigger picture of like his the way he talks about things the way he kind of denies things and the way that he frames his whole like cultural outlook um he basically the the book is him presenting his quote-unquote evidence that he's found in the course of his travels and through his research which i don't know how much that's how much actual traveling he's done but so he covers a lot of topics from cave paintings that he says uh portray spacemen he talks about the ark of the covenant as a piece of technology with a power source that was constructed by something other than ancient humans uh you know the great pyramid of giza is a really popular topic with a lot of people and how like the impossibilities of it being uh built considering the labor and the tools of its time uh something called the piri Rias map, which he said perfectly mapped out Antarctica in the 1500s. And it's basically, he said it it showed, it's a perfect representation of what is underneath the ice of Antarctica in the 1500s. And the only way you would have been able to create that map is if you had a plane and you could fly over it. The map is not accurate. That's just (laughs) map is bullshit. (laughs) It's it is a map, and it's an early primitive map, but it does not match up the way that he says it does. So, uh, and he also talks about like Mayan stone carvings that supposedly picture an astronaut, uh, among other things. So, a couple of the theories that I want to talk about just to give you the full picture. Um, The first one is the Nazca lines in southern Peru. Have you ever heard of these? Yeah. Uh, it sounds familiar. I can't tell you exactly what it is, but yeah, so, it sounds very familiar. So there's a plateau and it's like 30 miles wide and nine miles, um, what, 30 miles wide and nine miles long, right? And it's Say that one more time. Yeah, okay. I'll start over. <laughs> so they are these plateaus that were 40 miles long and nine miles wide. And they have these like really intricate, almost carvings in them you know they, they call them geoglyphs but they're they're massive and some of them are lines and some of them are just shapes some of them are spirals and hexagons um but they and some of them are animals so they actually have a bunch of animal shapes and they were believed to have been dug out between 500 bc and 580 um the crazy thing is that they're not very deep and they're only about six inches uh deep but they remain undisturbed due to the lack of wind on the plateau that they were dug into. So I mean, oh, like you, cool. you could easily mess these things up, but they've stayed the same because there's just no wind. It was a, it's a very soft ground. Oh man, that's really cool. It's really cool. And we have really, we've discovered hundreds of them. And a lot of them we've discovered only recently because we've been able to take drones up and take a look at, you know, the space. And it's so much easier to maneuver a drone around there. And, you know, at certain heights, new shapes appear. Right. Um, and so there's a ton of mystery. There was a ton of mystery about like, what do these things do? Were they like, you know, star maps or were they messages to the gods? And, and there's a lot of debate as to, to what they are. Um, what about someone just like, Hey man, it'd be really cool if I drew a deer. Yeah. man, it's like, <laughs> got a ton of, like get a bunch of peyote and just, go, right. like, just draw some stuff. <laughs> I don't feel, I feel like people look for deeper meanings on things. And when there really isn't any deeper meaning, yeah. like a lot of times people just want to draw a fucking deer, man. Yep. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I, I think what's intrigued people for so long is that they just don't know how, like the scale and the size. And when you see it, I mean, they're drawing straight lines out there. Oh, okay. So it's so big, there's no way they can know how. Yeah, like how like, do you coordinate that? Right. Um, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, because on the ground, they just look like lines randomly drawn into the earth. But from above, that's when you get to see like birds, lizards. There's a fish, a spider, a monkey, and they're pretty clear. So you say, once we're done, you should go check them out. It's really, it's very, very cool. So here's what Von Donneken says in Chariot of the Gods. If you fly over this territory, the plain of Nazca, you can make out gigantic lines laid out geometrically, some of which run parallel to each other, while others intersect and are surrounded by large trapezoidal areas. The archaeologists say that they are Inca roads, a preposterous idea of what use to the Incas were roads that ran parallel to each other, that intersected, that were laid out in a plain and came to a sudden end. Seen from the air, the clear-cut impression of these 37-mile-long plain of Nazca made on me was that of an airfield. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. But but we have roads that run parallel and intersect with each other. What? I don't understand like what his point was. His point is that it's an ancient airstrip for ancient astronauts <laughs> to land their planes. Well, why couldn't it be? Why couldn't it be roads? That's my question. Well, it's it, well. I'll tell you this: there's basically not a single archaeologist that has studied the Nazca Plains who says that it's an Incan road, and that's the most absurd thing that they've ever heard. So it's absolutely not a road. So he's right on that. But there's also no way uh, that it was an airfield, and I'll talk about why. Um, but I will say this: he's not the first person who talked about the airfield theory. It was written about in this book called The Morning of the Magicians by Louis Powell and Jacques Bergier, which was published in 1960, which is six years before he even started writing this. And um, the planes were also referred to in another book uh, as the Beacons of the Gods by George, I'm sorry, scratch that. The planes were also referred to as Beacons of the Gods in George Hunt Williamson's Road in the Sky from 1959. So that's seven years before he started writing it. So there's two people that like talk about this before he even... Very like, similar. Right. Very similar, which is a little suspicious. It's like, oh, you found okay. this on your own. Maybe not. Sounds a lot like plagiarism to me. Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, there's a lot of theories about it. Uh, some believe they're an, astro- you know, an astrological chart. Some, like I said, message of the gods. Uh, they also said they could be an irrigation system. Um, so there's there's a lot of different theories. And I honestly didn't deep dive in it enough to kind of see what the popular theory right now is to it. But it's not an airstrip. Uh, it doesn't seem likely that, okay, an advanced spaceship needs a runway all right why can't it just land right exactly also (laughs) there's no lights we've never found light bulbs so you wouldn't be able to land in a a spaceship there at night which just seems very impractical (laughs) well i can't the spaceships don't have like headlights you can't turn your high beams on and make sure they (laughs) land in the right spot (laughs) <laughs> and then and then just the actual surface like they it takes very little effort to actually carve these lines in because it's all loose topsoil it's like right. how, how they would wreck it every time they land yeah something. when they land like it was just yeah. a road so it, it's a very easily debunkable theory but if you if you if you start buying into this stuff and you start going, oh yeah, maybe there's something to do that. Well, you so know what? He had me, then he lost me. See, that's it. <laughs> it just it takes a very just small amount of like critical thinking 
to, that you put in and it's like, oh, that completely falls apart. Right. Yeah, so it's, um, that was, it's one that I'm just like, I mean, they're cool. And I, I understand why people are really fascinated by them. And if you look at them, you're like, wow, that's really incredible. And that's something, that's an incredible feat for a people at that time to right. carry it out. I but, don't understand why we can't just celebrate like the artistic knowledge and the skill that our ancient ancestors had. Oh, buddy, that's going to come up a whole lot. <laughs> just tell you. <laughs> and I got feelings. Um, <laughs> so have you ever seen, I mean, I know you've seen these, the Moa statues in Easter Island, those big heads. Yeah, like Stonehenge. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, like the tiki thing? Yeah, they kind of like the tiki things. Yeah, they're in Easter, Easter Island. They're like those giant yeah, heads. Yeah, yeah. Like Squidward's like, house. Yeah, exactly. Like Squidward's house. <laughs> oh, God. Did I just age myself? <laughs> no, I, I just, that's the time. That's today. That's the times. <laughs> So he, <laughs> so he's he like most people who are like really into the UFOs, they are really fascinated with these these. Uh, I think I'm saying right the Moa heads. Uh, I may be saying that wrong. Forgive me if I am. Um, so we'll just start. Von Däniken says that they are made of steel hard volcanic rock that the primitive tools of the times couldn't have possibly penetrated. He also seemingly out of thin air. Uh, settles on the number 2000 of being the number of people that you would have to have on this island in order to create and move these giant rocks. And then he goes into this whole thing about how there's no way 2000 people could have survived on the island given its very limited resources. And so but why 2000? I don't know. And I don't know. It seems like he just pulled <laughs> it out of thin air. Like it just, it comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, I keep looking through and I'm like, where did this come? I don't know. He does this with the pyramid too, where he's like, you would need 200,000 people and you couldn't feed people based on the, the river at the time. And I'm like, where are you thinking of all? Like, you, this is coming out of nowhere. It's purely fiction. Or he's stealing it from someone else who completely invented it as well, which is right. also a possibility just based on- Well, yeah, on that it. sounds like, it sounds like he read somewhere that 2,000 people and then he puts it into his work and when people are confused, he's like, why are you confused? Of course it's 2,000. Everybody knows it's 2,000. Yeah, or he hears 1,000 and decides to double it because it's more dramatic. That I could totally see happening with this guy. Just reading as much as I have about him, I'm like, you definitely exaggerate. Like if someone said 500, you'd be like, no, 1,500. <laughs> you see, back in my day, we, we walked uphill both ways three 100%, miles to school. <laughs> 100%. Except he's gaslighting a bunch of people. <laughs> Um, so both of these things are false, right? The, the volcanic rock that the Moat are carved out of is called tuff. And tuff is a term used for rock containing more than 75% ash. Uh, it's actually a fairly soft rock that's been used in construction all over the world since the ancient times. In fact, the Romans used it in a lot of their early imperial monuments because it was so easy to carve. So steel-like this is a gross exaggeration for what this rock is. This rock is actually one of the softest. So yeah, so it's easy rock to, to carve through. So that part of his argument just immediately is, is debunked. Um, as for the feasibility of carving and relocating the statues, uh, one study Von Daniken claims to have read, he says he read this, but doesn't, doesn't agree with it, noted <laughs> that... Um, seven residents of the Easter Islands carved out one of the heads in around three days. So it took seven people with the primitive tools, seven days, I'm sorry, three days to carve out the rough sculpture. Now, why, why can't he believe that? Well, he just chose to ignore it. Th that sounds plausible to me. Yeah. And he chose to ignore it. <laughs> 
which is weird because he claims the work, the, the author by name in the book, but he still just ignores what the author said. So it's, <laughs> it's fucking wild. I'm like, really? I, pre- I pretend I do not see. It, it's really hard work. And it would take, you know, I mean, obviously you, you multiply that by how many heads, there's been hundreds of these heads found, not all right. of them on the island, somewhere in the quarries, the quarries of the rock. But yeah, it's like, it would take a lot, a long time, a lot of people, but you know what? They didn't have a lot to do. Yeah, it's not like they're, you know, sitting down watching Game of Thrones. Right, or playing on the internet or, you know, video Playing the internet? Playing on the internet, oh, thank I was, you. I was like, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> or you're sitting there playing the internet again. Yeah, you got the marijuana pills. <laughs> um, so as for, like, transporting, there's two popular theories that uh, that are kind of going around. One is that they would load these things onto sleds, which is exactly how they did it in Egypt. They put the big stone blocks on sleds and it would take about 150 to 200 men per sled to take it from the quarry to wherever it went. Not 2000. 2000 is absurd. It's a made up fucking number. It doesn't come from any sort of knowledge or research. He just made it up. That's all. Um, the other theory is that they actually took a lot less people, like anywhere from 15 to 20. And what they would do is rock, like using ropes, they would rock the statues back and forth, almost like so that they would walk to where they needed to be. Yeah. Um, and and that, that's another popular theory. And that actually lines up with the lore of the, the stone figures where they said that they walk to their final resting place. So um, there's, a, there's a lot of folks that believe that that is actually how they that got them sense. there. But that's 15 to 20 people, not 2000 again. <laughs> you know and, and there's and, and some of the evidence for this is that they actually looked at the bottom of some of these big statues and they're chipped or cracked from you know landing back and forth and after being walked so the bases have evidence of that so in his like when he's imagining this did you just think two thousand people are carrying it like on their shoulder and just like huh, 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 huh. no no here's what he actually thinks he thinks that there was a group of these astronauts stranded on the island and <laughs> they got bored I'm not kidding. They got bored waiting for their rescue ship. And so while they were bored, they just started carving all these heads on the island. And then when the rescue ship showed up, they packed up all their tools and went up, up back to wherever they came from. Because they were bored? Yeah, because they were waiting for them to be rescued. They didn't have anything else to do. God, that's such a boring theory. Like, right? why didn't you think of anything else? <laughs> um, and then basic, I mean, that's, I'm making a finer point of it. He he can stretch things these things out for pages, <laughs> right? Just you can get to the point. And the books aren't even that big; like they're not they're not thick volumes. Uh, he also said that the the reason that we found all the primitive tools is that the primitive people wanted to recreate the heads, um, and so they fashioned their own tools, and but they couldn't do it because you know that very soft volcanic rock was as hard as steel. <laughs> so. Yeah, so that's 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 Easter Island kind of wrapped up in a nutshell. Oh, man, I wish the theory was better than that. That one is kind of a lame theory. Actually, a lot of them are kind of lame. They're not nearly as funny <laughs> as they should be. I think people have taken his work and really kind of gone and had fun with it. You know, they're like, okay, this is a theory, but let's really capture let's the Let's ramp audience. it up a bit. Yeah, exactly. Let's, let's make We're it. We're not going to get views on History Channel from people being bored. Yeah, well, that's true. And I think this is like this is the nexus of a lot of this stuff and people kind of took his really took his work and ran. Right. Um, so another one that I think is particularly funny, interesting, weird is it has to do with an iron column located in India and it's um, 
I'll actually read what he says. In the courtyard of a temple in Delhi, there exists a column made of a welded iron parts that have been exposed to weathering for more than 4,000 years without showing a trace of rust. In addition, it is unaffected by sulfur or phosphorus. Here we have an unknown alloy from antiquity staring us in the face. Perhaps the column was cast by a group of far-sighted engineers who did not have the resources for a colossal building, but wanted to bequeath to the posterity a visible, time-defying monument to their culture. Well, explain that, Austin. All right. Well, the column, <laughs> <laughs> the column does, in fact, have rust on it, and the process by which it was made was well understood. By 1974... I mean, we knew all this when it was published, but by 1974, he was confronted about it in a um, an interview. And he said, when I wrote Chariots of the Gods, the information I had concerning this iron column was as I presented it. Since then, I have found that investigations were made and they came to quite different results. So we could forget about that iron thing. Well, you can't just forget about it, man. You lied. Like, if it had rust on <laughs> like the whole... The whole theory is gone. Yep. And so then the, the, the interviewer pushed on and said, well, actually, when you wrote that, that evidence was already there. Like people knew what was going on with this column. And he said, this, he said this, I didn't know any of them. Even if they were made, other authors who are listed in my bibliography said the same thing I did. And so, and some of those authors are very serious, quite well known. Who? Who are they? Well, he does. He and we'll talk about some of the ones that he rips off. <laughs> but well, I was about to say, on top of that, number one, who are they? Number one, why did you just like outright plagiarize them? He he is, and he's admitting he's like, well, it, I didn't make the mistake. I just copied him. He clearly made the mistake. It's very much like it's not my fault. <laughs> well, you're a fucking liar. You didn't discover this. No, <laughs> and you did no research. You did no research. You just saw this thing, or you read about it from some other author, and then you were like, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to do this. Right. You know, I mean, because that's the thing. It, it like the pillar itself is inscribed um, as a military victory, like a plaque for military victory, and it's got a story about a an Indian general who actually they think is the story is based on the real life of an actual Indian general. So, like, it's there. Like, we know where this is from. This is not some ancient astronaut going. I'm going to fake this war and put this pillar up and then put the inscription in it. He's just lazy, lazy. Right. He's lazy. You know, I sometimes say that about some of the other grifters that we've covered, jokingly, that they just didn't want to do the work, but they were hustlers. He is not. He is lazy. <laughs> he's a liar. He's, he's a liar. A cheat. And he, he writes lazy. the same books over and over and over again. It's like, it's just, he constantly just like retreading the same stories over and over again. It's astonishing to me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just think that like, something like that, I think his bullshit and his plagiarism really comes out in the light. Where you're like, well, does anybody call this out? Like, yeah, well, like they did in that story, but he just kind of like skates along. And he's like, oh, I mean, he's a charming guy. I, I've seen interviews with him, and he's like, you, you really want to like him. He's got a very a thick German accent, and you know, he's just like a little pudgy old man. And you're like, he's he's kind of a he's kind of adorable, and and I get it. I understand how that works on you. Like, you don't want to yell at this guy because he's like somebody's German grandfather, and he's just going to have a good time over a pint, and we're going to talk about weird things, and he's going to convince you. Because, you know, he's got a very authoritative take on things. He's like, this is what happened. Or like, sir, you copy this stuff. Yeah, but what about the astronauts? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I did not say it first. It's French. You got me, like, not even German. I've listened to a lot of him, so I was like, let me not slip into his accent. So I got got one more that we're just going to throw out. Because, I mean, 
Dalton, we could do this all day. There's so many wacky theories and so much stuff, but I want to just in the time and like the spirit of keeping it timely and touching on not just what he wrote, but kind of a little bit more about his life. I feel like we should jump into some other stuff. Okay. Um, so another one of his books, I guess this one's called Gold of the Gods. Gold of the Gods. So a lot of gods theme. And if you look at his bibliography, it is all something of the gods or gods of the something or gods never left us. Or it's it's kind of wild. You know what's crazy? Like if I didn't have you to do this research, I could easily buy into this. I like know. I could easily fall like into because when I going back to what I heard on the Ancient Aliens show on the History Channel, like whenever I heard a the theory about the Greek gods actually being aliens, I was like, huh, that makes sense. Right. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> it's really fascinating. And it's cool. And I think these stories are fascinating. I really do. But I, I think there's a lot of problems with it that people don't pick up on necessarily. And I think right. that there's, you know, like, it, what is that thing in the X-Files? Did you ever watch the X-Files or the Before Your Time? I just sung the X-Files theme earlier. Yeah, but I didn't, that doesn't mean you watched them. Well, you know, I didn't watch it, but yeah, I exactly. love it. So what do you mean? You're giving me a hard time. I was right. <laughs> I'm like, I know you didn't watch this. You're like, yeah, but I whistled the theme. Yeah, but did you watch it? No. And I was like, ah! Yeah, no. No, no, you didn't watch okay. My mom said it was too scary. It, there are some scary episodes. Even, I, I rewatched some of them recently. Some of them like, ooh, that's spooky. <laughs> and I'm a spooky boy, but that was like, I was like, oh, that, I forgot about that. Like, ooh, uh, Kay, come here. I'm scared. <laughs> but there's, I, there's, I don't know if you want to name drop him, so I just called him Kay. Oh yeah, that's okay, fine. Okay. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a um, the big thing is like there's a poster in uh, Mulder's office and it says "I want to believe" and it's got a UFO and I think that there's that's a really prevalent mindset with a lot of people that they want to believe in this kind of thing, right? Because it's fantastical and it involves your imagination and you yeah. want to believe mystical things like that, but yeah. in reality, a lot of times it's just not there. Yeah, so a lot of times life is a lot more boring. Right. <laughs> but, and this is definitely, I think, going to be the new theme uh, for our show or, or catchphrase for our show. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. You're damn right. I feel like I've said <laughs> it every episode at this point, but it's it's really, that's, it's underlying in a lot of this stuff. So when we start our grift, like once we get really polished at this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to be set. <laughs> so... Gold of the Gods, getting back, Von Donneken writes of these man-made tunnels within, oh God, I'm not good at Spanish, Cueva de los Tayos, uh, which is a cave system in Ecuador. Cueva de los Tayos. There you go. See, my, my Spanish is rough. Uh, habla muy piquito español. See, I, I took, when I was in school, they, they made me take French. So that's, you know, very useful. <laughs> you go right to like, <laughs> I was trying to think of a French character. Uh, and I don't want to say Pepe Le Pew because he got canceled. Uh, uh, Ratatouille. Ratatouille, that's good. <laughs> Except that was Pat Oswalt, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah but it was set in France. I see. I, I like that movie. That was a really good movie. Um, so he was given the tour of the cave by Juan Morquiz. Mor- this is a tough one. It's M O R I C Z. I don't know how to say I C Z together. Say it one more time. Edit. Go back. Uh, by Juan Morix. Maybe. 
Maybe. I don't know. Muy That's, piquito. Muy piquito. Piquito espanol. Yeah, no, that one, that one stumped me. I didn't get that one. <laughs> uh, and it was filled with all manner of valuables, this cave was. It had an untold amount of gold, allegedly. It had um, plastic chairs. Chairs made out of plastic way before we kind of made plastic in the chairs. And it also said that there was a library of these metallic tablets that had data stored on them. Um, so he, he wound up this whole thing in this book and he uh, asked that he could t- if he could take photographs of the gold cave, this mysterious cave, and he was told no, um, that radiation in the cave would make the <sighs> negatives unusable and that the flash might damage the metal library so the data could be light sensitive. Of course they told him no. This dude's full of shit. Yeah, he no said he, he also said that he, in the cave, quote, you could not get rid of the feeling of being watched, of destroying something magic, quote. And then he asks, would a flash ignite a synchronized laser beam? <laughs> yeah, this is going to heavy science fiction territory. Oh, it's so loaded on science fiction. It's so loaded on it. Um, so in the, in the book, he actually does include a bunch of pictures of these small, quote, gold figurines. And Von Donneken claims that they're from the caves. And he's using that as proof of the findings. Like, I couldn't get the cave, but here's some little tchotchkes and little figurines that I, that are made of gold and they came from in the cave. That I, and so now that they're out, I can take pictures of them. How, how are you just supposed to believe that? Yeah. And guess what? The figurines weren't even made out of gold. Oh no! What were they made of? So they they were mostly um, they were mostly tin or copper, and they came from this local eccentric priest who lived near where the cave's supposed entrance was. The caves are real, but not the the part that he went into right. with all the gold man made walls. And this priest is kind of a wacky figure, and they people local villagers would come to him with these trinkets, and he would exchange them for food or supplies. And he had this whole collection. So he's a con man. To who? The the old man? Yeah, the priest. No, I think the priest was just a little little wacky, little little, a little zany, little eccentric. Yeah, and I think that this is like he really enjoyed having all these little things around it. He never said, as far as I could tell, or what I've read, he never said that they came from the cave. Oh, okay, like he was okay. he was forthright. It was Von Donikin's like, oh, these must have come from that cave. The guy might have said that the priest. He, I mean, but he he was like I said, he might not have had all of his facilities with him. But he was a much loved <laughs> character in that in that particular town. So just a wacky old man. Yeah, they were just like, look at this silly old man with all these little trinkets made out of tin. <laughs> Von Donikin's like, they are gold and proof that there is an underground <laughs> man-made tunnel of gold. Oh man, that sounds wild. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it was. Um, after the publication of the book, um, the man who had given Von Donneken the tour went to Der Spiegel, which is a German uh, magazine, and he claimed that there had never been an expedi- expedition that he and Von Donneken had merely had a conversation about it. Uh, Ecuadorian officials, uh, including the director of the National Museum, were less than pleased about the book as well. They said that there was no cave and he was a liar, but they were worried about if now that this is published, if there's going to be a gold rush in Ecuador and people coming in to try and find this cave to steal the gold. So they were like, right. not only is this false, dude, this is kind of dangerous for our locals. Exactly. They're going to have a whole bunch of fucking foreigners that are all hyped up on this bullshit yep. to come in there and just ransacking the place. Yeah. And I mean, and Von Donneken doesn't give a shit. 
Right. He he's made his money. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. Here's my book. It's published. I'm, if I'm there was here. gold, like, why the fuck are you writing this book? Why are you not rich? It, exactly, Dalton. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like that 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 one sentence alone is like, why did no one think that? Right. If just a little bit of thinking could just undermine, like, just cuts all of this away, and you can see yeah. this bullshit. It's so so transparent. It's so thin, you know, and it's just and it's it just just crumbles under any sort of scrutiny any sort of probing and it's just like poof, it's gone has there been some sort of silly discovery channel documentary yet with the hunt for gold in ecuador that doesn't get us many ratings oh no well that yeah that might i was thinking oh, yeah, gonna, that one. i, I, I yeah. thought you were going to ask me if there was something that debunked von donica oh no like, no no, no. watch that like you know the hunt for bigfoot documentaries right it like, probably is yeah I, f- I feel like you could probably you could probably google ecuadorian gold and find a lot Okay, if there hasn't been done, it's writing down Hunt for Gold in Ecuador. <laughs> I'm going to be a millionaire. Maybe you'll actually, <laughs> maybe you'll actually, actually go to Ecuador and not just make a phone call. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, so those are just kind of my, the, some of the examples that I pulled from his early books. Uh, he really wasn't a big figure in the U.S. after the publication of like his first two books. He kind of faded. And I think it's because there was so much scrutiny and he didn't have to face all of that in Europe. So he, he stayed very popular in Europe for a long time um, and there, other places around the world. But in America, it really died down pretty quickly, which good for us. Yeah, that's good, I guess. I wouldn't have expected it, but it's good. Yeah, I think it's just, I don't know. It's, I, I, I don't know exactly why that would have felt like this is probably the best country for him to do that unless like, Oh yeah. We love wacky bullshit. But at the same time, we're also very Christian and he Uh, is very anti-Christian. I mean, like, yeah, he, he says everything is wrong in the Bible and it's all aliens. So, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I I, I can't find any reason that he, or I couldn't find anything that said that he ran into that. But if I had to guess, I would say there's definitely some of that, you know, like the heat heat started (laughs) to to crank up a little bit. He's like, I'm out of here. I mean, in the nineteen hundreds specifically, that's yeah, that'd be a rough time. To... Like the seventies, the mid seventies, and eighties, yeah. and Reagan, that that really gets into the like the, the Christian right, and uh, yeah, I think he would have, I think he might have been smart enough to not worry about it. Not today, though. I think QAnon would love this shit. Yeah, and I actually wrote a little bit about QAnon, so we'll we'll, we'll talk about QAnon because I think that there's a lot. Of... We'll talk a little bit about that later. <laughs> <laughs> that is a catchphrase. It is. It is because you're always jumping ahead of me, which is good. That just means you're listening and you're paying attention. So I appreciate it. (laughs) But I'm not going to leave you in the dark, Dalton. I'm going to tell you everything that I found out. Maybe I'll I'll edit a lot of it out because there's some crazy stuff. Um, (laughs) There's some boring stuff, too. Some of the stuff is like, oh, God, I got to trudge through all of this. Um, So he's publishing books, right? And in 1997, we're going to do a bit of a job because... I could just keep talking about his books, but I don't want to. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about like what other stuff he's up to. Right. Uh, 1997, he started planning his next venture. What do you think that is? Just out of left field, what do you think? What's the date again? 1997. 1997? Mm-hmm. Hmm. History Channel. No. God damn it. You're going uh, to go, what? <laughs> Let me tell you what this is. He, presidential Candidate. No. <laughs> he started planning an amusement park based around his writings. That sounds dope. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Such a good idea. 
he, I'm glad you said that because he was able to invest and convince investors to give him $48 million to, yeah. 48 just, million? Yes. <laughs> My God. This, this is a hell of a sales one. $48 million to build Eric Von Donneken's Mystery Park, which opened in 2003. I want to go. <laughs> well, well we can it's it's we'll, i'll tell you how um so the park was divided into eight pavilions and each was based around a theme that came up over and over in his work so there was the mega stones amusement or pavilion which was about stonehenge nazca featuring the nazca line uh, which we mentioned earlier um and then the orient promenade which is based on the great pyramid of giza so there's there's eight of them in total those are the three big attractions uh, where is this located? It is in Switzerland, his home, his home country. Oh man, that sounds so sick! This is the only thing I love about this guy. This sounds so much. This sounds like so much fun. <laughs> well, and and the thing, and so when it opened, it was a big success. They had had um, two hundred thousand visitors over the first hundred days, but it <laughs> really goes downhill very quickly, and attendance starts to decline almost immediately. Tons of negative press about the park, most of it criticizing the way, what, they, what it was trying to teach visitors. And you have to think, this is an amusement park, so teachers and schools are going to take their classes here, thinking that it's some sort of educational experience. And when they show up, it's talking about Stonehenge and aliens at the pyramids of Giza. And so I think... Okay, he, I'm out. He lost me. That's See, that's the thing. Is like, I, I think he people were really interested at first. And then when they went there, they were like, well, this is a crock of shit. And immediately the, the revenue just declines. See, I was thinking like, I don't know, like ride a roller coaster around yeah. the pyramid of Egypt. This is more like a, this is a little bit less of a music park and more of like a learning thing. I, I think you're going to like a learning center where you go and you have all this, these, these themes and they talk about it. It's, yeah. It's less about rides. I think rides would be a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I came here to be thrilled, not learn. <laughs> um, it was even referred to, <laughs> I love this, as a scientific Chernobyl by a prominent architect. That's <laughs> where brains go to die. Yeah, that's where you just melt. <laughs> <laughs> so by the end, it opened in 2003, and by the end of 2004, the park was struggling financially. To stay in operation, uh, it would need 500,000 visitors a year. In 2005, or for all that year, there was only 200,000. So the next year, the park was closed. But, fear not, in 2009, it reopened under a new name. Oh, this is a Swiss name. I want to say it's Jungfrau Park. Jungfrau Park. With a J, but I I could be wrong on the pronunciation. Um, It's a seasonal park now, but it still never received the amount of visitors that Von Donneken had intended. The fact that he scammed these investors into don't, into investing forty eight million to build this park yeah. is incredible. Yeah, but you were in. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You were, you were all in on it. Like <laughs> I you wanted see. to believe, man. I know he's got he's he's got you a few times during the course like, of just this podcast, dude. I'm I'm really like anything aliens. Like I'm in. See, like, I want to believe so bad. <laughs> you're not alone. There's so many people like that. Listen, man, the U.S. Navy said they exist. It's, 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 it's something, it's so easy for people to just jump right in on this thing. So I guess I'm going to start talking about like the, the grift and kind of his whole universe. I think we've hit on it a lot, so it might be a little repetitive, but. We're an hour and a half into the podcast. And we're just now getting to the grift. 
<laughs> We're rounding the corner. Don't worry. Don't worry. I wanted to make sure that, <laughs> that you were appropriately peppered with bullshit before we go into like what this is. Um, I said it, it, it cannot come as a total surprise that Von Donneken chose to write about what he did. Um, there's a lot of hostility to the church, which we talked about. And by proxy, his own dad and his upbringing. And so, like, this is a really big way to rebel hard against everything that you were dealing with growing up. You know, I mean, right. this is, this is, it happens a lot yeah. with people that were raised in very strict households. It happened with me. Yeah. I wasn't going to volunteer that, but, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, you know, couple that with, as I mentioned earlier, like the world was in a space race, but especially the U.S. And everybody was paying attention to the Apollo missions, trying to be the first country to land on the moon. And so I think that that's like a really perfect storm of things that would have an impressionable, rebellious guy, you know, come to these conclusions, come to a lot of these ideas. Um, and I, as I mentioned before, you know, he's not the first person to espouse many of the ideas in his books. Um, we talked about him earlier, but he might have lifted that airfield idea from Louis Powell and Jacques Bergier's The Morning of Magicians. Uh, in that book, they also discover the electric batteries of Baghdad, which is something we didn't talk about here, but that's a big thing that he covers. He's saying that there were containers that look like they conducted electricity. It's just it's not true. They just okay. look like they, they just were odd looking containers. Oh, dude, um, you, like, see, every time you say something like that, like my face lights up, I'm like, oh, cool. Like ancient batteries. And then yeah. you're like, no, it's bullshit. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Again, they also wrote about the Great Pyramid, Easter Island, uh, and that uh, Piri Reese map that I was talking about earlier. And these are all things, again, that were featured in Chariots of the Gods. And again, they were published six years before Von Donneken even started writing this. So it sounds like he got a little bit of inspiration. Yeah. Well, so this next guy, he also, uh, it was author named Robert Chirot and Chirot was also writing about the ancient astronaut theory in a book published five years before Von Donneken. It's called 100,000 years of man's unknown history. In that book, he writes about, it's all the same stuff. Piri's map, the great pyramid, the Ark of the covenant, the alleged atomic destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and the, um, and a bunch of other stuff that Von Donneken would use as evidence in his arguments. So he actually said Chiro, like he, it was so close to what Chiro had written that after his book was published, um, Chiro's publisher contacted Von Duncan's publisher concerning possible plagiarism. Oh, so he oh, said, wow. This is so close to what my client has written that we could sue you for plagiary. Uh, so now, after the, the, the publisher found that, we freaked out, and now Chiro is listed uh, in the bibliography of subsequent editions of Chariots. So he got scared. And he had to give Churro credit for some of his writing. I feel like even if you put someone in your bibliography, if you directly rip off their work, that's still plagiarism. Yeah, you'd have to go. I mean, so I think he went back and edited some of that to not make it plagiarism, but he cited okay. Churro as a source rather than ripping me off directly. So, and I also think this is interesting because he says he can't go back and fix the stuff he was wrong on. But if there's a, if there's like a whiff of a lawsuit, he oh, yeah. it gets changed. Right. All right, you don't want to change your bullshit until legal action comes into play. They're like, oh, fuck. Until you lose your money. Yeah. That's that's the big thing. Um, it's just to be mentioned that the year 
um, Donakin, Von Donakin started writing Chariots, there was another book called Intelligent Life in the Universe by Carl Sagan and Isof should oh god these names are killing me this time there's so many european ones there's a russian sound guy. it out austin sound it out yosef shiklovsky shiklovsky yosef shiklovsky yes so uh, gotta, if we're speaking german we gotta put some umph into it well he's yep. russian though russian oh okay hold on i got that changes everything <laughs> <laughs> i need some vodka now yosef shiklovsky <laughs> Jesus Christ. I, I hope it. he's dead to not like be like, <laughs> hey please don't sue us <laughs> you can't sue over a name and a bad accent i don't think if we, if we this, we can't put this up if you can that's we're in trouble <laughs> uh so i'm not gonna say their names again but i'll just say so these two guys who are <laughs> actual scientists <laughs> And and very well respected, especially Carl Sagan. I mean, he's brilliant. He's he's uh, mentioned a lot and comes up in a lot of of these kinds of discussions. But he's he's a very um, gifted thinker. Was unfortunately he's dead way too soon. But um, just a brilliant guy. And and in their book, they they kind of said, "Hey, is it possible that aliens came to Earth in ancient times before we were civilized to know?" They're like, "Yeah." It's possible, but is there any proof? No, there's no there's no proof to, for us to even think that. There's not a there's no sign of it. Well, there is proof. They just were called gods, <laughs> <laughs> or they erased the proof so that we didn't they didn't mess with anything. I just have to say, like from a scientific perspective, like if you want to observe something, you don't go in there and mess with it. Like you you're going to get a different result if once your impact is felt on whatever it is you're observing. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So anyway, but he said, you know, he's like, is it, it, could it be true? Yes. And I think when he did say that, it gave a lot of these guys, they were like, well, Carl Sagan said it. So it, it must be true. Right. Even though they're only half listening to what he's saying. Right. He's saying, twisting his words. Hey, well, it's just saying we're going to take the stuff we like and ignore the stuff we don't like. And so that I think gave some legitimacy to a lot of people accidentally. I don't think Sagan ever believed or ever intended to do that, but I think kind of by accident that might've happened. He would say that extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. And he said, you know, that's an extraordinary claim without any evidence whatsoever, let alone extraordinary right. evidence. Um, so yeah, again, it's hard to, that, to not think Von Donneken was not aware of this book because it was, it was a big deal at the time. And like I said, Sagan was working with NASA. He was just a brilliant man. Um, so big Sagan fans here. You know, one of the appeals to Chariot of the Gods specifically was the way that Von Donneken writes. And he's a fun writer. You know, he, he, there's a ton of exclamation points. There are 238 question marks. Cause he like wants to ask, he's you know just asking questions and just supposing oh, this. And he's this very, and he, and he <laughs> writes in a very like friendly manner. You know, he's, he's like this, you know, he presents this evidence. He falls back on asking a question and he presents it as a, I'm just your fun narrator, just asking questions and just, just pointing out things. Well, if you want people to believe this kind of stuff, you got to have fun with it. Like yeah. you don't want it to be boring, 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 boring. Yeah. And I actually think that this was a reason that this book became successful, as successful as it did. And the other books that came before it weren't. I think that they were written a little bit more scholarly where Von Donneken is like very jovial and he 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 comes across as very curious about a lot of things. And I, I think that that helps. I, I really think in, that, that it's it 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 helps make the book easier to read it feels a little bit more interactive and and i think this is the kicker is that it, it can be picked up by younger people 
right very easily it doesn't speak above your head you know it's very and he's throwing out all these like bits of facts which are all a lot of them are questionable and he's like oh well this and this and this and then the bible and then this and the epic of gilgamesh and then this and it's just like it's a lot to take in but i mean you really do get drawn into the narrative so i think well, i feel like it would be fun for youth too because like a lot of youth grow up and like i don't know they want to rebel and especially if you're brought up in a religious house like this is the perfect thing to rebel with you're like, no, mom, you're wrong. It's not Jesus. He was born from Mary and the alien. They fucked. And <laughs> yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's 100% right. Um, I also, we, you know, we talked about Q earlier. I think that it reminds me of Q in the way that when Q people, when people that believe in Q, and I want to say, I, I don't, there's a lot of conspiracies that came out of that movement that people believe, but don't actually believe in Q. So Q is just a broad yeah. generalization of it. There's a whole lot of it. There's a lot of like branches and aspects and it's kind of taken on its own life and grown into something. A lot bigger of people that, that believe in Q and on theory have never even heard of HN. Right. Or, exactly. Yeah. Eight Coon or the, the, the Whatever fucking weird message. There, there's a whole lot of podcasts that do that a lot better than we would ever do it. So shout <laughs> out Q and on anonymous. Yes. Yeah, check them out. But yeah. So, I mean, he, much like those Q followers says, here's what I'm presenting, but go look at it for yourself, you know, in a way he doesn't actually say, go do the research. That's very much like a Q thing, but it's really indicative of that behavior. And it's like, if I give you some bread seeds, your breadcrumbs <laughs> and you go out there and you do some additional research and you come to the same conclusions that I do, you feel like you're a part of this thing. Right. Right. You and feel it, like you got involved and those hooks just get deeper and deeper when that happens. But really, when you're telling people to do the research, you're baiting them because they're going to yeah. like, they're going to type into Google, like, I don't know, like things that are going to lead to what you want them to find. Yeah, but they, like, yeah, if, exactly. If they type in, a, I don't know, I don't want to bring another QAnon thing into it. Like, I don't know, like masks help uh, pedophiles take their, their victims or well, whatever, do- whatever weird Q shit they believe in. People are going to look that question up and of course they're going to find supporting links to that right. claim. Right. And you don't even have to do it with Q. You could do it with some of the Von Donneken stuff. You know, yeah. you could say ancient aliens pyramids and boom, you're off to the races. Right. And you're going to find a lot of sources because all these people like quote each other, you know, and it's like this really, it, it's this really insular network where everybody's pointing to each other and not actually real evidence. And then in citations, they're on the right. Uh, fucking, we found this in Chariot of the Gods. I'm going to go find Chariot of the Gods, buy the book, read the book, and give them, oh, it's all making sense. Yep, exactly. And I don't, I, I don't know how intentional that was, but it's very effective. Yeah, I mean, and, and it is. It's it's the same thing with 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 a lot of these beliefs. Is that it preys on people looking for an alternate truth? You said this earlier, which I, I think is should be said over and over again. And they usually have, unfortunately, uh, poor logic and reasoning. You know, whether it's blatant or they just don't have very good logic and reasoning skills. Well, I don't think. I think it can be blatant, but you got to realize when people want to believe something, they're going to ignore the truth. I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I I think that there's a lot of that. And I think that that's a, that's a shame that, that, that people prey on that, but they have been for a long time and they will continue to prey on that for even longer. Um, I mentioned younger readers. I was listening to an episode of Art Bell's show and um, Von Donneken was on there. I love Art Bell, by the uh, way. Do you, do you like... Uh, so, so have you heard the call where uh, the dude was flying into Area 51 and he was getting shot down by like the yes. jet? 
<laughs> I love it. So I, I will say, you know, here I am making a, a, a podcast about debunking fraudsters and exactly a lot of the kind of guests that went on Art Bell's show. But I really love Art Bell and his show. And I think that it just he's very much missed. And I, I don't know what he'd be doing right now if he was still alive. <laughs> well, I feel like I don't know if Art, I don't think Art Bell took himself too seriously. No, he didn't. Because he would, he'd tell you like he's allowing all callers, like none of it's being screened. Yeah. And all he, he never claimed that these callers were being truthful. He just played along with their story. Yep. yep. He gave him the I, benefit of the doubt. That's why I don't love the show anymore because I think George Norrie, the guy who replaced him, does take it a lot more seriously. And he also right. has Alex fucking Jones on there, which is just like, <laughs> you've lost all credibility. Anyway, the global <laughs> so Von Donneken was on um, Art Bell's show, and it's the only time he's ever been on there, as far as I can tell. It's hard to find listings of the show, and they're like really scattered all over the internet. But he, uh, a caller, called in and said, I read Chariot of the Gods when I just learned how to read, and I just wanted to go, No, that's the first thing. <laughs> You dropped out that time. I did. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Keep that in. But uh, fucking, uh, no, don't do that. Why would that be your first book? Pick up Hooked on Phonics. What the fuck are you doing? Yep. Yep. I agree. So it's, it's like I said, it's a different kind of grift. He's not bilking people directly, but he's spreading a lot of bullshit out there. And at the same time, making a lot of money doing it. Um, people that won't know any better. No. If you just learn how to read the first book you pick up, it's going to be gospel. Yeah. So now we're going to take a dark turn, dear Dalton. The, now is the dark turn. Now is the dark. This turn. motherfucker just learned how to read and read the first book he read was Chariot of the Gods, and this is the dark turn. Yeah, this is going to be the dark turn. Okay, brace yourself. And I, I think if anybody listening to this, don't just, just bear with me through this part and and just kind of see it through. It's a little bit of a journey to get where we're going to go, but the ancient astronaut theory and concept is inherently a very racist concept and the entire theory rests upon non-europeans being incapable of building advanced societies so it must have been some extraterrestrial or otherworldly force okay question yes what about stonehenge isn't that in europe Stonehenge is in Europe, but they don't hit on Stonehenge a whole lot. He does later on, okay. But originally, there's not a ton of not a ton of uh, references to Stonehenge. It's mostly Mayan, Incan, Indian, um, Egyptian, Egyptian. It's it's othered people, and it happens right. a lot, and it happens in all of these people's books. It is um, like it's not upfront and in your face, but it's subtle and it's there. Yep. Yeah, like he never talks about the Colosseum in Rome. He never talks about the Pantheon in Greece. I mean, right. it's it's very strictly not um, it's not European, you know. And he doesn't yeah. and he doesn't talk about any of that. And it's it's very problematic. And and I know some people are probably maybe thinking, well, that's a stretch, right? Like that's just a stretch. These, you know, I don't think that was intentional, um, but it it's it is <laughs> because when Chariot of the Gods finally found a publisher. It was with a former Nazi. Oh, fuck. Legitimate Nazi who published the book, but is thought to have completely rewritten the book. Oh. So he submitted it to a ton of publishers and everybody said no, except for this guy 
uh, named Utz Uderman, and he was writing under the pen name of Wilhelm Uderman. And in, when he was younger, he oversaw the publication of magazines targeting young girls and boys to join Hitler Youth. Uh, yikes. So, I mean, a legitimate real-life Nazi who is now publishing books about ancient aliens and may have rewritten the entire ancient aliens. The first, I mean, the first book, which is chariot of the gods. So there's a lot of clues that kind of point to this. And I don't think it's a total stretch, but it is a very much a, like these people couldn't build this stuff on their own. I, I, I don't really want to point to the term savages. He uses it a lot, but I think it was a parlance of the time. It's not like right. we would say it now, but he definitely does. He, he, he very explicitly says there's no way that these people could create these pieces and you were even you even mentioned it earlier it's like why not give credit to people who are actually there creating these things why do you have to make up a backstory and it just doesn't really sit well say the pyramids i don't feel like pulleys are that much of like a mind-blowing concept like you can get 50 people on the other end of a rope throw that rope under a rock and use it as a pivot point to lift the stone it's not rocket science. Like yep. it's not that hard to do. You don't need an alien to fucking build a pyramid. Yeah. And, and I also, I always think of like, you lose a lot of knowledge when cultures go away or are overtaken, right? Because yeah. the first thing an invading army or culture does is to destroy the history of whatever they've taken over. The winners always write the history. Exactly. And so I think there's a touch of a lot of that, which is where they come up with this argument. Like, hey, these ideas could not have progressed so quickly. Like, why did it take so long? And then it went really fast, you know, like it, it moved slow until it didn't. And, and I just, I don't know. I, I have to say the more I read of his writing, the more I'm like, this is really, really unfortunate and, and really kind of belittling anything all of these other cultures went through. And even if it wasn't, which I think it was now that I've heard a little bit more of the story, even if it was intentionally racist, I feel like unintentional racism is still racism. Yeah. You and know? It, and in the, the, you fuel that fire and it becomes a problem. You know, now right. you've got a lot of people maybe not going, hi, I'm racist. I think this, but like believing that these primitive savage cultures couldn't actually have discovered any of this on their own. Right. And I think that that's, that's really problematic. It, it's silly. It's, it's just dumb. It's dumb to think but, that way. But it's, it's widespread. You know, and that's the that's the part about it that really bothers me. It's like, okay, you can count, you can chalk these things up to like silly little stories. This silly little fat German man has, or Swiss <laughs> Swiss German, excuse me, Swiss German man has has made up. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, but you're also just like taking entire cultures' history away from them, right? And you're saying that you're essentially calling them dumb. You're calling them stupid. Yeah, and that there's no way they could have done this. Yep. Yep. And so I think that there's there's a lot of problems there. And I think that that's, that's the other side of what made this grift so interesting to me. Not only just the ridiculousness of the stories, but the, the flip side of that is how damaging they are to people who didn't have a prominent voice like that, you know, weren't right. able to put these out. So that is the bummer part. Um, we'll pick it up a little. It'll still be a little bit of a bummer when you know, when you realize just how widespread this guy got. Okay. I'm you ready? Sure. Buckled well, in. You ready? Uh, crack another PBR. No, <laughs> <laughs> so I just, he's had a huge influence on popular culture. I mean, we talked about ancient aliens, the show he's a, he's a, um, he is a producer on that. It is currently in its 16th season. 
really fun show. If I'm even 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 hearing all the stuff I've heard <laughs> in the past two hours, it's a really fun show. I don't think they're going to sponsor us. I hate to break it to you. So, you ever seen a movie uh, called Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? I sure have. A- Ancient Aliens. Yeah. And actually, a lot of the Indiana Jones took a lot of the the topics that these guys discussed, and they didn't treat it in like a space alien way or right. ancient astro. But that last movie definitely did. Um, did you see the movie Prometheus? No, I haven't. So it's it's a Ridley Scott movie. It's vaguely based in his Alien universe, but he um, told the Hollywood Reporter that. Um, quote nasa and the vatican agree that it's almost mathematically impossible that we can be can't be where we are today without a little help along the way that's what we're looking at in the film at some of eric von donikin's ideas of how we as humans came about that movie it reflects like aliens coming to this planet and somehow spreading their dna in the the water and creating humans and it's like a whole thing but he's i mean he quotes von donikin as a as a reference or a um a resource for the movie which i think is kind of wild because that movie only came out like a few years ago. Um, in 1973, NBC released a documentary. NBC. NBC. This is not the History Channel. This is not some offshoot. This is NBC in 1973. Had a documentary called In Search of Ancient Astronauts. Oh. Based on Chariot of the Gods. And in 1971, a docu- documentary called Chariot of the Gods was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. Oh my God! Come on. Yep. Did it like? Did it actually look for like ancient artifact? Art- it was ancient based on art- the book. It was based on the book. I haven't seen oh. it, but they, I think they go to the locations and they talk about von Donikin's theories, and that was nominated for an Academy Award. That's dangerous. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what i've been saying this whole time does it does it make sense to you now dalton <laughs> yeah like dalton the whole time dalton's going i want to sign up for this i like that <laughs> and i'm like literally over here waving my arms going no dalton don't do it <laughs> maybe maybe that's something we can do we can like start signing you up for all these weirdo cults and then you can report back to us on how they're going <laughs> what well, okay yeah i can do that You'd I'd be think. very into that. <laughs> I know you would. <laughs> um, so all so all the accolades that he got at the time were they weren't all positive. There were a lot of people calling us bullshit. Right. He was actually in the very first class of the Ig Nobel Prize winners, which was a parody of the Nobel Prize, right? <laughs> Where they gave these really mocking awards to people that absolutely didn't deserve them. So he um, in 1991 he was given it for his contribution to literature which (laughs) obviously yeah and it's it's a a joke award and some of the people that were inducted into his same class were um jacques beneviste uh for chemistry because he discovered that water is an intelligent liquid that is able to remember events long after any trace of those events had vanished (laughs) (laughs) yep Yep. Or for biology, uh, there was a guy named Robert Clark Graham, who was a, um, he was a eugenicist, sorry, which just, they was, yes, which is very racist as well. Selective uh... breeding for superhumans. Does that sound familiar? Yep. So he (laughs) he got his award for biology and my favorite one. Um, Edward Teller, father of the hydrogen bomb, was awarded the Ig Nobel for peace. 
So. Uh, it's a really star-studded class there. Yeah, it really was. Um, and then, so, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that his popularity waned in the United States in the 70s, but he's still a big person in Europe. And, you know, he, again, he wasn't the first with these theories, but he was definitely the bestseller. Um, according to him, his books have been translated into 32 different languages and have sold more than 63 million copies. Wow. Uh, boys well off yeah yeah um he's got a bunch of honoraries and i couldn't verify that any of them were real or existed he's got like all these memberships that he's part of and these clubs and these things and i couldn't find i was like i started tracking him down and i was like i don't this is a waste of my time i'm not gonna do it so i don't necessarily believe all that but in 2019 a little podcast that is known for platforming people like this to a very large audience. Can you uh, guess where I'm going? Uh, yeah, I know exactly where we're going. Where are we going? <laughs> Joe Rogan. Yes, Joe Rogan. Listen, <laughs> he doesn't claim to be an intelligent man. Okay. <laughs> but this time he's right, kind of. So he said, in quote, his, well, he said in Von Donneken's theories, quote, are mostly nonsense, unfortunately. Of course, after he said that, you know, he said he had he had lunch with Von Donneken and they're like, oh, what is he like? And he says it's mostly nonsense. And yeah. but he but he's let down. He's disappointed. He then goes on to talk about um, a couple of other guests on his on his podcast, um, which included Graham Hancock. Uh, he's the author of a thing called Fingerprints of the Gods. So, you know, where his hmm. thinking is in there. Um, yeah. And and he has a lot of the same theories and they're just packaged a little bit differently than Von Donneken. So Rogan's going not Von Donneken, but my guy knows what he's talking about. Even Is though it at least a little less racist. Um, I don't know. I didn't do a deep dive on him because I was okay. just like, I'm not going, listen, I've, my brain's been bashed by Eric Von Donneken. I'm not chasing <laughs> after some guy that Joe Rogan actually says is correct over Devon Donneken. Listen, I know I, a lot of people rightfully so give Joe Rogan a hard time about his podcast and i agree i he does it does platform a lot of problematic people but 100%. god damn it's entertaining it that, that, that alex jones podcast that he did with joe rogan i hate them both i hate joe i hate no i don't i don't hate joe rogan i hate alex jones and i hate the comedian that he had oh, yeah. on the podcast with him but god damn was it funny to watch alex jones feet fucked up and just belligerent and make a fool of himself but you like that in a different way. And you know enough about Alex Jones. I know that's how we bonded that, you know, to, to, how to see through his bullshit. There's a whole right. lot of people that watch Joe Rogan that don't know how to do that. Yeah. I'm, I think I like to give a lot of people the benefit of doubt whenever I, you, you know what I mean? Like I, I don't I'm, want to think that the world is necessarily has bad intentions. Well, that's why you're here. Cause I'm the cynic. And and you're the optimist, and, and you know <laughs> like this, this is how this this is how this works. <laughs> <laughs> I want to look at the world with a sunny disposition. Yeah, and everybody wants to be good, and I'm just like, <laughs> no, that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> um, so speaking of podcast, Eric Von Donneken just launched his own podcast. Oh, really? Yes, it's on uh, YouTube, and he interviews other quote unquote intellectuals in the same area. <laughs> he currently has. 81,000 followers. So, right. Dalton, as our social media champion, you got to get our numbers up. We've got to, that's the new goal. We got to match Eric Von Donneken. Listen, we're not doing bad. 
No, but we got to get this is this is this is my goal. Like we could retire after we hit eighty one thousand. We'll be like we we beat Don Von Donneken eighty two. Let's do eighty two just to beat him. Facebook, if you catch my grift. Twitter, catch my grift. Dot dot dot. I can't even get our plugs right. No, (laughs) (laughs) too much PBR. Um. So I I got I want to close out with a quote by Carl Sagan, who we talked about for a a few minutes ago um, about Von Donneken directly. Um, And this was actually, you're going to ask me about James Randi. And so I thought I would somehow tie it back to Carl Sagan. And I I ended up finding something else. So spoiler. Oh, okay. Um, So this is what Carl Sagan said, quote, the kindest thing I could say about Von Donneken is that he ignores the science of archaeology. Every time he sees something he can't understand, he attributes it to extraterrestrial intelligence. (laughs) And since he can't, and since he understands almost nothing, he sees evidence of extraterrestrial (laughs) intelligence all over the planet. God, that's such a good burn. Such a good burn. That's an intellect (laughs) burn. That's like intellectual burn. Right. It's like you're not outwardly bashing him, but (laughs) you're saying he's dumb. You're saying he's stupid. Yep. Yep. So that's that's it. That's my story about him. Ah, oh, wow, that that was really fun. Did you like that? Was it everything? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I know you it was a roller coaster. I, I, was, I wanted to believe, then I didn't. Then I got me again. Then he did. Yeah. He's a good one. He's 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 an interesting fella. He's still alive too. Like I said, he's got that podcast. It's a video podcast, so you can see what I'm talking about. Like the chubby little Swiss German man who always wears blue blazers. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not into YouTube podcasts. If it was on Spotify, I'd check it out. I don't think it is. I looked. So he's old. He doesn't know how to do Spotify. We're lucky he's on YouTube. <laughs> I can give him some pointers. No, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> all right. In closing, uh, we're going to try to end every episode trying to tie this back to James Randi somehow. Where in the world is James Randi? Yes. So I might have, I might have ruined it a little bit, but I want to shout out a friend of the pod, Kyle not Guile, because oh, okay. he over the week reminded me about the James Randi book, Flim Flam, which I haven't read in a very long time. And I thought, you know what, let me look into this book and just see. And lo and behold, there's a whole chapter about Eric Von Donneken that had completely gone by my head. Wow. Okay. I mean, it was, it was in there somewhere, I'm sure, because I've read this book, but it's a long time ago and I didn't associate it. So I went back and looked at it. And this is the opening pa- one of the opening passages about Eric Von Donneken by James Randi. For 15 years, he has perpetrated on the reading public, which I characterize as the literary, a literary diddle of enormous scope. A simple examination of his work will demonstrate this. In fact, any reasonably intelligent person with access to a public library can disprove such nonsense quickly and easily. Okay, well, I'm glad that he's everywhere. How is is he? (laughs) It's going to get hard when we look at people out of his lifetime, but in his lifetime, I mean, he was all over everybody, with the exception of some financial fraud. He was more interested in like extraterrestrial, spiritual, but he's like, God, he's in everything. Okay, well, I have a slightly different question. Where do you, now that we've went over all this, where do you stand on the existence of aliens? I think you'd be a dullard to not believe that they exist somewhere. And I actually have a favorite theory and it's a conspiracy theory and it's, but I just like it. And it is one that we didn't start seeing we people on earth and mostly in America didn't start to see UFOs 
or, or there weren't a lot of accounts of UFOs until after the first nuclear um, detonation. Okay. And that somehow that nuclear detonation sent a signal to other species in the universe that we had reached a certain milestone of civilization and that now we, they could come down and check us out and see what we were doing. Right. And I like okay. that theory. I don't think it's true, but it certainly is interesting. And I will say Von Donneken is also very skeptical of UFOs. He does not believe that they come to earth. He what says, the fuck? Right. So there's that. I'm going to just drop that bombshell and walk away. Oh God. So, yeah. He says, he's like, I, he goes, I, I, you know, it's fine for people to think they've seen them, but I've never seen them. And I don't believe that they're there. I have a UFO story. I just remembered it. Okay. So. How do you forget that? Well, (laughs) well, whenever I hear UFO, like it just springs into my mind. Me and my friend, Tyler Benson. If you ever hear this, Tyler, I love you. I miss you. Uh, We were going to his mom's house, which is, I don't know, about 20 minutes away from here. And we were driving, and it was really late at night. It was like midnight. And we look up in the sky, and we see this, like, really white ball of light. And it's just, like, split off. Four pieces, right? Four pieces. Neither one of us were drunk. Like, completely sober. And I I was like, did you see that? He was like, yeah, I saw that. And I was like, you think it was an alien? He goes, it might have been a UFO. And that was it. <laughs> That's the whole story. <laughs> I don't know what it was. And I'm sure someone way smarter than me can understand and explain what that was. But I don't know. It's a UFO and I'm sticking to it. Listen, I'm going, I'm going back to the X-Files thing. I want to believe. See, now that you've told me about it, it actually sounds more like the theme than the first time you did it. I was like, Dalton's just going off again. I don't know what he's all about. Oh, you just thought I was singing something. Yeah, until you said it, I was like, I don't know what he's singing. I don't know any of his music. <laughs> God, that's so, so funny. You just sorry, let me buddy. do it. Yeah, I did. I let you. I was like, I'm just gonna let you run. <laughs> then, then you'll look at it. You'll listen to it later, and you'll cringe, and you'll edit it out of the episode, and it will be just gone. <laughs> <laughs> do the plugs, Dalton. Let's get out of here. After we record this podcast, we're going live on IWTV Guide with our friend Charlie Butters and Jayhawk. And we're going to talk about AIW's event. Is this something you would be interested in? Uh, it should be out by the time we release this podcast. So just go check it out and have fun with four buds talking about wrestling. We're going to be a lot drunker than we are here. Uh, I am three PPRs deep. So we'll see yeah. where I am then. <laughs> uh, check out our friends, IWTV Guide, Pod Van Dam. The Sweet Stuff and Better Things podcast. Super fantastic. Check us out on social media. You can find us at Catch My Griff Pod. You can find Austin at Austin Agogo. And you can find me at Catch Dalton. Find us on Facebook at If You Catch My Griff. Uh, later losers i don't know how we're supposed to end this <laughs> no you guys say make sure that if you you know if you like the show subscribe oh, you yeah. know leave us a review it helps a lot it actually does help for visibility um and dalton you can reach him on twitter unless he decides he needs to get banned this week uh because he's all right fuck nick norton to sheriff of lanier county i can say that because he's a public figure fuck you eat a dick people that are on unemployment aren't lazy fucks i hope you fucking choke See you later, loser. <laughs> and you know what? If there is nothing wrong with, I don't have an ending this week. Maybe we'll just you just do yours later, loser, and I'll say, see you next time. 
Uh, I don't want to be mean. Yeah, you want to be mean to him. Oh, later, loser. Fucking suck it, jerk. See you next time on... If you catch my grass! A man and a woman walking down the street With a son and a daughter, it was oh so sweet When mummy turned to daddy and she said My dear, write out your will because the end is near Then she pulled out the gun, I saw the sparks Messed up the suit that he bought from Marks Because she'd heard the voices from outer space She'd heard the voices from outer space She'd heard the voices from outer space